Have your outline open there and also turn back to Genesis 1 where we'll be reading from again very soon. But let's pray as we come before our good God and Father. Our gracious Father, we praise you for the wonder of the creation you have made along with the Son and the Spirit. We praise you that we can rejoice in it and that we can rejoice in you and learn to rightly fear and worship you as we come to see that you are our creator. Help us now to be convicted of the truth and to live in all these ways for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week I asked, I asked my gospel team, uh, what's one thing that you love about God's creation? Uh, we had this great time sharing lots of great things that we love about this world. Uh, someone said music and the human ear, you can guess who said that. Uh, someone said the beach. Someone said uh, people and relationships, and obviously someone said food and taste buds. And then one person said dogs. I just love dogs. And I get that. I love dogs too. I grew up with two Border Collie cross Kelpies, uh, Rusty and Sam. They were brothers, uh, and I loved hanging out with them. And today, that's really what we're going to talk about, just the animals that I like, dogs. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> We're going to talk about dogs, animals, humanity, and God, because that's what these uh, verses are about that we've just read out. Uh, but let's remember where we're up to. We're in week two of our series on Genesis 1 to 11. And last week we saw, we started by looking at the first four days of creation. What did we see there? We saw the one and only God made everything out of nothing. He just spoke and everything came into existence. We saw on those first four days, God created light. He created the expanse of the sky. He created the land and the plants and the trees. And he created the sun and the moon. All of it he created with a word. And all of it was good. And he was pleased with what he made. Well, today the story continues with days five to seven as he keeps creating and filling. And he keeps making our world functional and, and make it work and make it beautiful. So in those last few days, the five to seven days, uh, he fills the sea and the sky with animals and the land. And most importantly, he makes us, humanity. And then we see, uh, so what we're going to do is look at uh, Genesis to see what we learn about these things and what, they sh what it shows us. Uh, but first, I wanted to share a quick word uh, about humility and perspective. Uh, because you see, again, as we come to deal with the days of creation and the order of things and the way uh, it says God's create here, we have those questions that come up for us in our modern world. How and when and how long? And is this literal history or is this stylized teaching? You know, is it kind of a parable to learn from but not be read literally? Uh, because on the one hand, it reads like a simple story, doesn't it? This is what happened and then this happened and then this happened. Yet on the other hand, it's, it's very stylized. It has lots of repetition. It has these numbers over and over again. And so it makes us wonder if there's something symbolic there. Uh, last week, Phil helped us think about this. I don't want to add much more to that other than maybe this one thing. Uh, we need to remember that this chapter, Genesis 1, it comes before chapter 3. It comes before the fall in Genesis 3. So this is talking about God's creation before sin came into the world, before the curse of sin, before God's judgment that affected not just us, but all of creation. See, this creation we live in now, yes, it's the same creation that God made in the beginning, but, but just think how different the world, the creation, would have been before sin entered the world. 
I'm not sure we can imagine just how different it would have been like. See, I wonder if Genesis is given to us, Genesis 1, because it's the only way that we could just grasp at the edges of the wonder and the magnitude of what God did in creating the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1, it's talking about these things before sin wrecked everything, before the curse and judgment of God on this world, and before our minds were affected by sin. And so we need humility and perspective, and we need to trust God's word as it comes to us. Uh, But now we're going to get into the passage. What does Genesis clearly show us and teach us? And if you look at your outline there, I just want us to ask these questions and that will help us to explore these verses. What do we learn about creation? What do we learn about humanity? What do we learn about God? So the first way we're going to look at this passage is, what do we learn about creation? Now, in one sense, we humans, we're part of God's creation, aren't we? We're creatures. Uh, But we'll see very soon that we're actually different from the rest of creation. So we're asking, what does Genesis 1 show us about the rest of creation? The plants, the land, the sea, the sun, moon, and stars, and in particular today, dogs. Not just dogs, the whole animal kingdom. Uh, And we're going to do this by looking at day 5 and 6. So from verse 20, this is day 5. Then God said... Let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged bird according to its kind. Or look at day 6, verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So what do we learn here in these verses about creation? What does Genesis show us? Which shows us God created this world with rich fullness and diversity. Did you, did you sense that as we read it just then? Let the water swarm with life. Let the birds fly across all the expanse of the sky. Let the land be full of animals everywhere. He fills it abundantly. He's generous. Uh, We, Sarah and I, we are so thankful uh, that we get to live where we live right now. Our place sits up on top of a ridge and it looks over a valley. And so you can see over the trees from our front porch, you can see the sun setting over the mountains in the distance. It's beautiful. And so often the sky is just filled with birds. And we see flocks of them flying over the valley. And my favorite bird is the black cockatoo when they come around. For some, I don't know why, I just love black cockatoos. Or at dusk, the sky is filled with bats everywhere and they, they poop on the car. <laughs> but God, he fills the sky with the sea and, and fills the land with all the animals. So he fills the sky and the sea and the land with all the animals. Uh, So there's lots of animals, but he also makes a great diversity of animals, many kinds of animals, the sea creatures, the birds, the land animals, they're all made according to their kinds, God says. And there's so many kinds, isn't there? God is rich and lavish in making our world diverse. We get to see and experience these incredible beasts and animals. That's why we go to the zoo, isn't it? Going to the zoo is a testament to God's creativity and generosity. We're actually just living in the world and actually living in Australia. Uh, You get to see a lot of that, don't you? Because we've just got this extra dose of diversity in Australia. Uh, We happen to have the most uh, dangerous and scary animals in the world, it seems. That's how the joke goes. Uh, I won't tell you about my hunt this week for a huge huntsman on my car, but 
Uh, anyway, it's all, it's, I had a flat tire. Everything's about my car this week. <laughs> but humanity, it just keeps uh, finding more and more of these species, doesn't it? Of all these animals, this incredible diversity God has made. He is beautiful and wonderful and creative and generous. But this is what else we learn. We learn that God blesses this part of his creation. See, from the beginning, God's desire has been to fill the earth with all kinds of animals. We see it in verse 22. So God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. God blesses this part of his creation. He's generous. And of course, he declares it to be good. He sees what he's made and he knows that it is good. Dogs are good. Even cats are good. I won't get into that divisive issue, though. But God, he, he, he says it's good. He says, I like my handiwork. I'm satisfied with what I've made. He takes pleasure in it. He rightly gives himself the glory because he has made it. He rejoices in his own wisdom and power and goodness. He says, this is good. So what does that mean for us? Think about the animal kingdom. If it's made by God, if it's good, blessed and rich and diverse and fills the earth, well, then we can enjoy it just as God enjoys it. We can be glad in seeing and enjoying and learning about and benefiting from all the wonderful creatures that God has made. But ultimately, what's the right response to this? It's worship. It's rightly directing our worship to the God who made all these things, giving him the glory for his creativity, praising him for his power to create and bless and provide for all the animals. We can be glad and enjoy God's creatures, yes, but it should never stop there. God deserves the praise for his creativity, his power, his provision, as we see it in all the richness of the animal kingdom. See, we can and we, and we should join in with God's faithful people through the ages as they praise God for the animals, for the world that he's made. And in fact, I just want us to pause and do that now. I want us to dip into some of the Psalms throughout this sermon and just take a moment to see what it says, but then use those words to praise God because that's what the Psalms are for us. So look at Psalm 104 on the screen, a psalm that praises God for the way he creates and sustains the world. If you want, join me in saying these words out loud, praying them to our good and creator and God. So join with me. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number living things, both large and small. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Amen. He deserves the glory. He made the fish, the birds, the land animals. He declares it all to be good. But he didn't finish with the animals, did he? The dogs are not the best part of his creation because on day six, he creates the land animals and he creates... Uh, the other land animal, the other land creature, us, humans. So this is our second point. Let's ask, uh, what do we see about, uh, what do we learn about humanity here? What does Genesis show us? We're going to spend most of our time here today because it makes sense. We're people. We're going to be thinking about what people are. Uh, and it's actually, it's actually hard to overstate how important these verses are. 
Uh, this is what, this is, these are the verses that show us who we are, how we should see ourselves. The first mention of humanity, the fundamental understanding of humanity for the whole rest of the Scriptures. So what do we learn? The first thing we learn is that humans are different to the animals, yet like God. You see, at this point, God, he breaks the pattern of his chapter to say and to do something new, something different. Look at verse 26. Before, God kept saying, let there be light, seas, animals. But now God says something new. He does something new. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish, the birds, the livestock, all the earth and all the creatures. See, God speaks to himself. And here he speaks in plural. Uh, Let us make man in our likeness. Uh, And there's a few options of how we should understand that. Uh, I think the best one is that God is self-deliberating. He's considering within himself, uh, okay, God, let's do this. Uh, But as Christians later, we learn from the New Testament, don't we? It's only when we get to the New Testament that we learn that, that God is Trinity, that we truly understand that God is one in three persons. So this could be a conversation within God. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, they plan within their shared mind and will. Let's do this. But you can see how here, in the same breath, God says humanity is like me, yet different to the rest of creation. You see, in one sense, I said it before, we're like the creation. We're made on day six, like the land animals. We have the breath of life like the animals. We're called to multiply and fill the earth like the animals. But we're a separate creation from the land animals on that day six. And we're commanded to rule over the animals. We're different. And we're like God. We're not God. We're creatures like the animals. But of all the creatures, God has set us apart and made us different. We're made last as the pinnacle, the most important part of God's creation. We serve a different purpose and a different function in his world. And the way God speaks about that is that we're made in God's image, in his likeness. He says it multiple times. See, all creation reflects something of the glory of God, but only humans are made in the image of God, the likeness of him. So what does that mean? Well, there's lots that we could say that this is. Is it our higher intelligence or our emotions? Is it our ability to relate with each other and relate with God that the animals don't have? We're like God in those ways. The answer to those things is surely yes, but God doesn't actually go into the details of that stuff here, does he? Instead, what is the detail he goes into? What does God say straight after he says, let's make man in our image? Look again at verse 26. He says, they will rule the fish, the birds, the livestock, all the earth all the earth. And then again, after it says, let's make them in our image, he made us in his image, verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish, birds and every creature. There it is again. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means we rule creation like God does. God has set us over his creation to rule over it like him, but also under him. That's the big truth of what it means to be in the image of God. We're like him as we have dominion, as we rule the earth and subdue it. So what does that mean for us? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of 
uh, ways that I think uh, this impacts us as people, as Christians, uh, and we can only really scratch the surface now. First, it means to be made in the image of God, is that it means that human life has intrinsic, inherent value and dignity. So it means that all, that, that every human is made in the image of God and so is to be respected and honoured and loved. Think about Genesis 1 next time you're feeling worthless. Or think about Genesis 1 next time you're, you're tempted to treat someone else as worthless and say a harsh word or, or gossip or even strike someone. It's why James says that it's an awful thing to praise God in one breath and then with another breath to curse people who were made in the image of God. And I think that when we read this chapter, we have to see as well the wonder and the beauty of verse 26, that we're created in the image of God, male and female. See, I hope you praise God for the wonderful way he's made us binary. That's a loaded term today. But God declares his creation of humanity in male and female to be very good. But more than that, it's, it's that he's made us huma- both humanity in his image. See, both men and women are made in God's image here. Look at it there. Verse 26, or was it 28? I can't remember. Uh, God made man or humanity in his image. And that, maybe it's 27 anyway, it doesn't matter. God made humanity in his image. And then he explains that at the end and says, God made them male and female. And then the next sentence is, God blessed them male and female and said to them, fill the earth and subdue it together. You see, Genesis 1, 26, there you go, it's verse 26. Is, Genesis 1, 26 is all you need to see that men and women are fundamentally equal. Equal in value, in dignity, in worth. This is all you need to see that God is against the battle of the sexes or the oppression of women or the sidelining of men. There's much more we could say about that. But Genesis 1 is all you need to see that they, us, men and women, together rule and subdue the earth. Both are given that role. Both live uh, in the image of God. We're both called to live in partnership as men and women together as one humanity. And it just makes me think. It just makes me so joyful and thankful to God that, uh, that we are blessed in our church by the way that men and women serve together. In our imperfect way, but in joyful, Jesus-centered partnership, unlike the world where these things are pained and distorted, we get to enjoy the benefit of serving together as we follow Jesus. I hope you praise God like I do for that. Wasn't it wonderful to hear from Nabi about snack women before? So what else does this mean for us, that we're made in the image of God? It means that work is valuable. Phil might share more on this next week, uh, but the fact The fact that we're made in God's image to rule and subdue, it means that our work is value, has value. Because our work, paid or unpaid, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the workforce, is filling and subduing and ruling as God made us to do. What else does it mean? This means human life is more important than animal life. God cares about animal life. Cruelty to animals is off limits in God's word. But it's okay, and it's even good for humans to wisely and with care use animals for our purposes, to rule and subdue. 
And this is why, from a Christian worldview, it's okay to end the life of an animal, but it's not okay to end the life of a person. It's why assault and murder and abortion and euthanasia are ruled out. All people are made in God's image, and so how you treat them matters, and only God gets to decide when it's the end of a person's life. And this is the same for the rest of creation as well. It's not just uh, humanity over animals. It's humanity over the rest of creation. Uh, Scientific discovery of our world is a good thing. Harnessing the elements brings blessing. Uh, Farming the land brings food. Mining in and of itself is not bad. Using trees for wood is a good thing. Look at this roof right now. Humans can and do go too far and they ravage the earth at times. Uh, Some people out of their greed. But God has set us over this creation to subdue it for good endeavours. All of this means that, that extreme views on animal life or extreme environmental views don't fit with the scriptures. Again, we could say lots more on that, but what's clear here is God made us in his image to wisely, carefully rule and subdue the earth and utilise its goodness. But God did more than create us in his image. He also blessed us. See, look at verse 28 again. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. See, God blesses us in our role as humanity, in our rule over creation. And he blesses us in multiplying us. See, on a macro level, the fact that humanity multiplies across the earth is a blessing, not a curse. Again, as some extreme environmental views say. But also on a micro level, an individual level, we should see it as a blessing of God to multiply, to bear and raise children for his glory, if that's what God decides to give you. And he is wise to decide such things. But as well as that, he's blessed us in providing for us. Did you see that in verse 29 and on? He provides for humanity and the animals with an abundance of trees and plants and food and seeds and everything we need. How he pours out the blessing of provision on us and how dependent on him we are. And so now, now that God has made humans the height of his creation, his work is done. And so we read verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Not just good, very good. And I think God here is saying that with humanity, he's finished his creation, and now he thinks all of it is very good. But I also think that he's saying that it's humanity that caps off his creation. It's humanity that means he can say that it's very good. We are the work he's most pleased with. And again, all of this should rightly cause us to direct our worship to him. It should fill us with wonder and awe. It should make us humble that he would choose us to make us the height, the pinnacle of his creation. And Psalm 8 is an example of this. Look at it on the screen with me. This is David, King David, reflecting on the creation and humanity and giving glory to God. Look at what he says. He says, When I observe your heavens and the work of your fingers, God, and the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you remember him? the son of man that you look after him. Why is it, God, that you choose to care about us little creatures? Then he goes on. He says, you made him, humanity, little less than God, and crowned him with glory and honour. 
You made him Lord over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. See, the right response to all this is all this and being made in the image of God is wonder and awe and worship of the God who chose to do this and who did it. But now, before we get into our third point and finish off the passage, there's one more thing to say about humanity. Remember before, I was saying, this, is, this chapter is talking about creation before the fall. What about after the fall? See, what happens to these truths about humanity and about our world after sin enters the world? The Scriptures teach us that though humanity has fallen, will we still bear the image of God? We still have that task of ruling and subduing the earth wisely. But our image of God is marred in us. We sin. We don't reflect God in the world like we should. And the creation is in chaos and we struggle to rule over it. The fact that animals kill people is the example of this. And that's what, our writer, that's what the writer of Hebrews is referring to in Hebrews 2, which we read before. See, what does he say? He quotes the psalm that we just read, Psalm 8, about how God has set us over all creation. And then he says, hang on, we don't really see that fully. The fall has changed things. We don't rule like we should. But, he says, we do see Jesus as Lord, as, as ruler over creation. See, look carefully with, with, uh, with me at it, at, on the screens. Hebrews 2. He says, as it is now, we do not yet see everything creation subjected to him, to humanity, to us. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. He became human so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone and now be raised, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering in death. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying since the fall, humanity hasn't ruled creation like we should, except for one human. One man has done it. There is one man who, has, who was made low for us, who defeated death for us and escaped the curse of sin. There is one person who rules and subdues like we were meant to, Jesus, the Lord of all. And so he is the beginning of a new humanity. And if we turn to him, if we trust in him, he will raise us to be a new humanity with him, the humanity we were meant to be from the beginning. He will bring us into a new world, a new creation, and we will rule and subdue the earth as we were always intended, as God intended, where everything is subject to us because it's subject to Jesus, our Lord and our brother. See, this is the gospel. Jesus is the true human, the true image of God. And God, through Jesus, is shaping us, restoring us to be like Jesus, to be in his image as we trust in him. So even though we live in this time and this creation where things are not right, we look forward to a time where things will be made right, where we will rule and subdue the earth, ruling rightly over creation and under God perfectly. See, our hope of restoration at Jesus' return is yet another reason to praise God in light of Genesis 1 and in light of the gospel. 
Believe the gospel, turn to Jesus, and you are on the right track to being the new humanity that God has always intended us to be. Praise God for that. But now that brings us to our final question. What do we learn about God? What does Genesis show us? This is what Genesis 1 is really about, isn't it? God. It's here that we see so clearly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God created everything just by speaking, simply by the power of his word. Genesis 1 is meant to show us his wisdom and his power and his goodness, his unrivaled, unchallenged, unparalleled wisdom and power and goodness. Have a look at Psalm 33 on the screen. We're going to dip into another good psalm about this. Psalmist says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. You see how wise he is, how powerful he is, and how fearsome he is. Do you tremble before this creator God? Are you shocked and in awe of who he is and what he's done? That, that this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is eternally powerful and all-wise and made everything that we could possibly know just by speaking. We've talked about the right response of worshipping, but part of that is the right response of fear. See, we're amazed and even fearful at things in this created world, of powerful animals. We're afraid of the raging sea. The physical forces amaze us. The destructive weather is, is something to be feared. We stand in awe of the magnitude of the sun and the galaxies and the, the forces at work in a black hole. But what about God? What about God who's wise to invent such things? What about God who's powerful to create them with a word? There is no room for arrogance or apathy before God the Creator, only humility and fear and awe and falling down before Him in worship. Yet He's also good. And isn't it good to know that this powerful God is good? His creation is good, and he does good for his creation. But the other thing we see here at the last part of our passage is God. Is it shows us God is the God who finishes his work. See, at the beginning of chapter 2, we get the seventh day. God had finished all his work of creation, and so he rested. Now, we don't have time to go into all that it means that God rested or what it means for us that he rested and what it means for our time. We'll save that for another day. But the core of it is this. What these verses emphasize is the finished work of God. Look at it again, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, The heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. In verse 2, God completed his work. God rested because he finished. He was done. What he set out to do, he completed. And so his rest, I think, shows us his glory as the one who was able to create and complete his work. And I think his rest shows us that God took delight in his creation. He enjoyed it. He was satisfied with his work and satisfied with himself. The seventh day of rest for God 
is him being self-satisfied. He rejoiced in himself and what he made. He gloried in himself and glorified himself for what he had made and how right that is. And I think it's actually a fitting end for us today because Genesis 1 invites us to do the very same thing, to rest in God's rest, to rejoice in him as he rejoices in himself, to be satisfied in him and enjoy him just as he is satisfied in himself. And he just as he did on the seventh day. See, to worship him for what he made, that's what we do, isn't it? The fact that he is wise and powerful, we rejoice in those things. We, we stand before him in wonder and awe at the things that he has made, all the animals, the fullness, the diversity, the, and humanity, and all the goodness. But we do so rejoicing along with him because he rested and took pleasure in himself. So I want us actually to finish by giving God that praise that he deserves, rejoicing in him just as he does in himself. And I want to use another psalm, well, one, the same psalm that we looked at before in Psalm 8. Uh, let's finish off giving him the glory he deserves with the end of this Psalm 8. We saw it before. Uh, please join with me if you'd like to with these words of praise. Let's praise our God together and finish with this. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout all the earth. Amen.